Welcome back to From Aid Arbitration. Let me say thank you to JB right off the jump for such an amazing episode last week. I've had a lot of people reach out to me this week. Tell me thank you for that episode. They've been dealing with deems in their station and in their area, and that uh, helped them out a lot. So he put a lot of time into that, a lot of time and effort into that episode. I think you can tell. The kid knows his stuff as far as that's concerned. I'm going to have him come back. I think he's going to do a holiday scheduling, especially for new stewards. New stewards, when you look at holiday scheduling, that's like doing Chinese arithmetic. Those things are difficult. So he's going to come back in maybe a month and do uh, one on holiday scheduling, and I'll pick out some other hard things for him to do (laughs) so I don't have to do them. But uh, he knows his stuff. He does. And, and that's all this is about. Like he said last week, it's all about education. We're not, we're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. We've dealt with things. And that's all this is, is trying to help y'all. Uh, just another tool in the box. Just another arrow in the quiver. Another rock in the bucket. That's all this is. Y'all may have templates that are much better than these, and that's fantastic. That's really good. Matter of fact, I've seen some contentions. People have talked to me this week a lot and have sent me contentions. I've looked at them. Some of y'all need to be doing a podcast. <laughs> They're much better than stuff I could have done. And so um, this shouldn't be the only one out there. I strongly encourage anybody. It's very simple. Get you a, a microphone and a laptop and learn how to download it, man, and have at it. I don't think there can ever be too many people trying to help our brothers and sisters with that being said i've had a lot of people reach out about different topics and and i'm going to get to those topics i promise you a lot of stuff falsifying clock rings we deal with that a lot six day counts stuff like that i have to be careful with some of these things because if you can't see clock rings i don't know how much i can help you we'll try to get through that though i'll try to do something for you on some of these requests but I'm not going to ignore anybody. If you want me to do an episode, I'll do it. And uh, I had uh, one individual reach out about rural city dispute. Um, I dealt with that years ago. And I don't know if, if you're a shop steward formula and you've been doing it a while. Maybe you remember years and years ago, uh, we had the big city rural dispute where if it was new territory, who got it? And matter of fact, I took the very first case to hearing here in our region and was in the hearing was sitting in my chair and I got a phone call from my business agent he said step out so I step out and he's like hey go in there and tell them that we're going to pay full freight we'll pay the union uh, labor's part but we are uh, we're not going to take this case forward and so uh, that's what I did when I called him on my way home I was like hey what's up he's like national's taking them so National took all of them. We had about 60 boxes of rural, uh, rural city disputes. And he said National's taking them. So let me find out what's going on with that. And that was years ago now. Let me find out what's going on with that before I do an episode on that. Because even though National has nothing to do with me, I didn't ask permission to do this. I don't even know if they know I'm doing it. I'm not associated with that at, at all other than I'm a dues-paying member. Uh, nobody from national has encouraged me, talked to me, said, Hey, yay, nay, nothing. So, uh, I don't answer to anybody as far as this podcast is concerned. 
but I'm not supported by anybody either. So uh, I can say what I want and do what I want. But I don't want to, to tell y'all something that's in conflict with what they're doing. Okay, so let me check on that. If it's not, then I'll do you an episode on rural city dispute. Okay, today I'm going to do, and this is going to be maybe a couple of episodes on escalated monetary awards and what goes into that. Today I'm going to just give you an overview. I'm going to tell you about, because as a shop steward and a formal A, especially a shop steward, you, you probably don't know what arguments are made when it goes over your head, when it goes to formal A, B team, and then arbitration. You may not know the arguments that are being made by management. Well, this episode I'm going to cover it as far as status quo ante, things like that. I'm going to cover all those things today. Next week, I'm going to tell you the sites, the national level sites. You remember I did an episode a while back that talked about uh, that new court decision that came out, and it was out of Kingsport. We had uh, Arbitrator Roberts' decision out of Kingsport, but uh, had a gentleman reach out about an issue statement, and, uh, and he did a very good job, but it may be in my fault that uh, is a misunderstanding. So I'm going to do an escalated monetary award episode uh, or two. Uh, it'll be two. And next week I'll do some sites and things like that. But today we're going to talk about escalated monetary awards and how to prove our position and what we need to do to support our file. I'm going to talk about issue statements and uh, remedies. Okay. First off, I have seen some amazing contentions. Y'all have sent me some, and they're very, very good. Understand this, and, and any advocate can tell you this. Once it gets to arbitration, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Matter of fact, I've, I always talk about how many cases I've done, but the best case I ever put on out of my 142 cases, the best case by far I've ever put on, I lost. It was as a, a big a trouncing as you could ever get. I trounced management in this case. Uh, matter of fact, he had this gentleman, the labor advocate, he had two TAs. He was teaching them. And both of them came out, and they came up to me. He's like, well, that was completely, <laughs> completely humiliating. <laughs> that was embarrassing. And so, you know, we felt great, and I lost it. So anything can happen in arbitration. I'm just telling you that. Any advocate will tell you that. So just know that we're going to put the best case that we can together. We're going to put the best case we can together. We're going to send that up and then let, let the advocate take care of it. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what an arbitrator sees and what they feel. Uh, I believe that some arbitrators, when it gets closer to getting back on the panel, They'll give some away that they shouldn't. I believe that. Now, National would, would, would choke me for that, but that's how I feel. I believe that some arbitrators, will they will give management some that they shouldn't, and they'll give us some that they shouldn't. That's just how it is. I'll tell you of two cases that are like that to me, two cases that stand out. One was an emergency placement that I did where this gentleman was put on emergency placement. And these are the facts. This is exactly the facts. That I'm not leaving anything out. What happened was this gentleman comes in to work, 
and management asks him to go case on another route, and he refuses. He says, I'm not doing that. I need to get off an eight. I'm not going to case on another route. I'm giving you a direct order to case on another route. Okay, I'm not doing it. So he's at his case, case and mail. So the impu comes in. She's talking with the supervisor. They both go to this man's case now. He doesn't go to the desk. They go to his case, enter into his case while he's casing mail. He turns around. They're inside his case. This is the honest God's truth. I'm giving you a direct order to go and stick on that route. He says, I'm not saying another word without my shop steward present. So they keep talking to him. So he just sits up on his case ledge. They're in his case now. He can't get out. Sits up on his case ledge, crosses his arms. Doesn't say a word. They're still talking. Blah, 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 blah. Finally, he says, I'm not saying anything without my shop steward present. They put him on emergency placement, saying that they were fearful of him because of his attitude. Put him on emergency placement now. So when I get into the hearing, I'm like, so you went to his case, right? He didn't come to the desk. No. You went to his case and entered his case. Yes. And he sits on his ledge, right? And crossed his arms. Yeah. Why didn't you just leave? Couldn't answer it. I said, you said you were scared, right? Yes. But you were in his case. Yes. Why didn't you just turn around and walk away? He can't walk away. You've got him blocked in. I lost that. I lost that emergency placement. That's what I'm talking about. I was on uh, on uh, Facebook the other day, and I don't ra- I rarely do I comment on anything, but an individual asked a question about some drugs being in a car, and so I I had made a comment about it, and turned out it was that, that wasn't at all what they were asking about, and I'm just like I'm answering a question that was asked. <laughs> so, but one of the things that I was talking about that I referenced was a case that I had. It was another emergency placement. This clerk goes to lunch and comes back. And when they're walking in the building, there is a car in the parking lot. The trunk is opened some, not all the way, but some. The clerk can see bundles of deliverable mail in this trunk. Not one or two, a bunch. The trunk is full of deliverable mail. So she goes in and she tells the supervisor, The supervisor goes out, they look in the trunk, trunk full of deliverable mail. They go in, get the manager. Manager comes out, trunk full of deliverable mail. So they go in, they know whose car it is. They leave this carrier out there delivering mail during this whole period of time. They go in, they call the OIG. The OIG comes out, yep, that's deliverable mail. They're looking at it, call her back. So they call the individual back, take her out there. Is that deliverable mail? That's deliverable mail. (laughs) Three and a half hours go by since they first saw this deliverable mail. And they put her on emergency placement. So obviously I use Mittenthal's decision. Can't be any passage of time. It's an immediate loss of pay. Immediate. You cannot say it was immediate because it was three and a half hours went by when you saw it. And the arbitrator ruled against me. 
and he said that management had to perform a thorough investigation before they could determine that it was deliverable mail. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, you just throw your hands up at that. But we can do the best we can do. Do the best we can do and still lose. Keep doing the best you can do. Those contentions I've seen this week have been fantastic, truly. But just do the best you can. Send it up, man, and, and hope for the best. Because we don't always win when we should. That's arbitration. That's what I always say. It's 50-50. I'm going to read a lot. I've got some sites, and it's going to touch on my points that I'm trying to make. Escalated monetary award. What is that? That's where management has failed to do what they've been told to do. And they've done it so much that it has now become egregious. And when we talk about egregious, uh, management has been given a cease and assist to stop something. And that's exactly what that means. Cease and assist means stop and don't do it anymore. That's what that means. So when management's been given cease and desist to the point where it's become egregious, we will ask for an escalated monetary award, is what I like to call it, an incentive for future compliance. Because you're, you're not listening. You're not listening to anybody. And so when you're not listening to anybody, we're going to have to try to do something to make you listen. And, and to me, that's an escalated monetary award. If you look on page 4117, 41-17, and I'm going to have some sites that will touch on this for you. 41-17, it's remedies and opting, last paragraph. And it states this, and this is the example that we give. In circumstances where the violation is egregious or deliberate, or after local management has received previous instructional resolutions on the same issue, and it appears that a, in quotation marks, cease and desist remedy is not sufficient to ensure future contract compliance, the parties may wish to consider a further appropriate compensatory remedy to the injured party to emphasize the commitment of the parties to contract compliance. So if management is coming up to you, and this is... This is something that's happened in, in my installation. They've been given so many cease and desist, and now we're starting to escalate that monetary award. And they come up to you and they say, hey, look, we're no longer going to say cease and desist. We're not going to agree to that anymore. Don't give in to that. Say, okay, that's fine. Just sign right here, and we're going to send that up. So you're going to send that up for a cease and desist? Absolutely. I will not go backwards. We will never go backwards. So if somebody's telling you labor's not going to let me do a cease and desist on that, okay, that's fine. Sign it, we'll send it up. An arbitrator will grant a cease and desist. They just will. But that's the example that we use. So if management's been given several cease and desists on something, and they're not stopping, we're going to ask for an escalated monetary award. I've got some sites I'm going to read to you. And it, and it talks about escalated monetary awards. And, and I'll read the issue to you in case people are wondering, what would the issue be? How do I frame that? I'm going to read some to you. And then we'll talk about uh, some more after I read them. Let me start with Arbitrator Roberts' decision. And I'll, and I'll put all these up like I always do in my little section there so you can see what they are. 
But here's a decision, and y'all may have heard of this decision because it was there was a national report that came out on falsification of clock rings and talks about all these arbitrators' decisions. This decision was in there, and it was about the falsification of clock rings. And this is a case that I did. The hearing was March 17th of 2020. And here's what the arbitrator said about cease and desist, about escalated monetary awards, okay? So this will kind of give you a guide on on how to approach it okay again this is for new stewards advocates this will help you too uh, formal a's b teams maybe but new stewards this is where management goes after it leaves the informal because you're not going to hear anything in informal but this will get you ready for what management's going to say and how we're going to beat it okay here's the issue number two did management violate Articles 15, Section 3A, and Postal Service Policy Letter M1517 via Article 19 of the National Agreement by failing to comply with the grievances, resolution, settlements? And it tells the grievance numbers there. In the national installation, if so, what is the appropriate remedy? So we've let the arbitrator, hey, no, we've got prior decisions on this of cease and desist. They're still doing it, so that's put him on notice. Number three, did management violate Articles 17, 31, 41, 15, Section 3A, and 19 of the National Agreement via Postal Policy Letter M1517 by failing to comply with grievance resolution settlements for the national installation concerning their continued violations of failing to provide the union with requested information and compliance with grievance resolution settlements? If so, what is the appropriate remedy? So on that one, we have numerous prior resolutions. So he's not going to put all of those in his in his issue, okay? He put it like that, and then he'll put those prior resolutions in the case file, and that way the arbitrator can be taken to those. Here's the arbitrator's discussion. and Now listen to this language, what he talks about here. Discussion and findings. In preface... I would first like to provide insight into the employer advocates missive in their opening statement with the same subject again resuscitated via management's closing brief. My sensitivity regarding compensatory awards has been well documented in many of my past decisions. To that end, I would like to summarize my considered opinion on this very subject by first citing a previous award of mine dated 18 February 2020 and then he labels it there. The agency insisted that escalating remedies and punitive awards violate the party's agreement. Several precedent-setting awards to that end were introduced. However, none were specifically on point to this specific issue. In a 1989 national award, arbitrator Richard Mittenthal stated, The purpose of a remedy is to place employees and management in the position they would have been in had there been no contract violation. The remedy serves to restore the status quo ante. That is management's numero uno. That's the number one site that they will use in 100% of their cases. And we're going to attack this site here in just a minute, okay, through another arbitrator. But that is the one that they always use, status quo ante. Now, my position on that is when you go to these past B-team decisions and they say cease and desist, Cease and desist, another cease and desist, another cease and desist, 
you eventually see these past B team decisions state what? Cease and desist and future violations may result in an escalated monetary award. Something to that effect. So management and union have agreed that if it continues, they're going to go above the status quo ante, right? That's what that means. Anytime you see a B-team decision and it says management is issued another cease and desist, any future violation will be met with an escalated monetary award or something to that effect. That's what they're saying. So when advocates, when, when labor comes in there and they say, hey, it's not granted, we can't do that, it's, it's against the contract, I'm taking the arbitrator to every single one. If there's 20, I'm taking them to 20. If they have paid it, I'm going to say it makes no sense for them to come in here and say that now. Because in these past decisions, they've granted an escalated monetary award. But now it's all of a sudden, it's improper. Uh, so pay attention to those prior B-team decisions. He goes on to state, And in 1994, Arbitrator Menthol provided a similar message in another national award styled, he gives the number there, it is generally accepted in labor arbitration that a damage award arising from a violation of the collective bargaining agreement should be limited to the amount necessary to make the injured employees whole. Those deprived of a contractual benefit are made whole for their loss. They receive compensatory damages to the extent required, no more and no less. I agree with Arbitrator Mittenthal that a remedy serves to restore the status quo ante. In the second award, Arbitrator Mittenthal stopped short of making that status quo ante mandatory by the use of wording such as generally accepted and should be limited. Such mandatory dialogue indicates the intent of Arbitrator Mittenthal was not to eliminate the use of punitive awards in certain situations. He goes on to state, to that end, and under such national-level guidelines, corrective monetary remedies to bargaining unit members as well as the local union are certainly appropriate, albeit under very specific conditions. Those circumstances are identified by several examples, including delayed payments of previous grievance arbitration settlements and or clear defiance of a cease and desist orders. So there you go. Clear defiance of cease and desist orders. Okay. So he's putting an onus on that. And when a matter meets certain criteria, corrective remedies are appropriate. Such awards, not only from me, but many other postal arbitrators, have survived national negotiations without restriction from the chief negotiators via the addition of any contractual language through several bargaining sessions. He goes on. Whatever arguments, objections, or contentions the employer brings forth could be easily offset via mere contractual compliance. And here's, here was my position in my closing. I said, I, I give you my word right now, Mr. Arbitrator. I said, and matter of fact, to labor, I said, I give you my word. I give both of y'all my word on my name that if management stops, we will never ask for another penny. If management stops, we will never file another grievance on this matter. I promise you that on my word. If management stops doing what they've been told to stop doing, if they cease and desist, finally, you will never see another grievance on this matter. And we will never ask for another penny. I promise both of y'all that. 
because there's only one person that can stop this. It's not an arbitrator. He can't stop it. It's not me. I can't stop it. The only individual in this room that can stop what's going on here is management. That's it. Until then, the only recourse the union have is through the grievance procedure. That's the only recourse we have. It's through the grievance procedure. And management wants to sit over there and say, hey, look, you can't, you can't make punitive remedies. There's escalated monetary awards. That's a status quo ante. Bullshit. If that were the case and you're going to have a thousand cease and desist with no other recourse, the unions just have to sit there and take it time and time and time again. Surely that's not what was intended. Surely that's not what cease and desist means. Cease and desist means just that. Stop and don't do it any longer. So, Mr. Arbitrator, I tell you now, you know me well. As my name is Corey Walton, I promise you this. If management stops, we will never ask for another penny. Management wants to come in here and say it's a windfall to the carriers. Then stop it. Then stop it. Management wants to come in here and say that it's undue enrichment. Then stop it. Stop doing it. Management wants to come in here and say that this payment is improper, it's not contractual. Then stop doing what you're doing. All of this, all of it, will be corrected with that. All of it. You will never come in here again and see the union asking for money if management stops today. I promise you that. So that was my argument on that. And so he says, and here he kind of acknowledges it, when he says whatever arguments, objections, or contentions the employer brings forth could be easily offset via mere contractual compliance. That's cease and desist. Cease and desist means stop. That's what he writes. Cease and desist means stop. One order should certainly be sufficient. Now listen to this language here. Advocates, this is absolutely gorgeous. Formal A's, informals. Uh, if you want to make a template, I would put this in there. This is one of the strongest lines you will ever have in any decision. One order should certainly be sufficient. The union need not accumulate a canasta deck in order to take hold. What about that? Cease and desist means stop. One order should certainly be sufficient. The union need not accumulate a canasta deck in order to take hold. Man, that's powerful. That is good stuff. That is good stuff. And in that same vein, I understand there are sometimes administrative challenges to timely payments being made. That can also be resolved by management alone. There is simply no excuse for noncompliance or delayed grievance payments. The employer, in their opening statement, admitted to repeated breaches of the party's agreement, yet argues the Postal Service faces extraordinary financial pressures now, let me stop there. I objected to that in her opening when she started talking about the financial position of the Postal Service. I objected to it. Now, opening statement is not evidence. Opening statement is just that, a statement. So rarely do you see objections to an opening, but I'm not going to have it. So I objected to her opening statement where she starts talking about the, the financial hardships that the Postal Service is under. Reason being... Nobody in that room could help that. That's solely Congress. 
That's solely up to Congress. They handle all of that. All of our finances, they handle that. So when you're going to start talking about the financial hardships in the Postal Service, I'm going to object to that 100% of the time. Because nobody in that setting, I can't, the arbitrator can't, management can't help what the financial situation of the Postal Service is. So I objected to that, and he sustained it. But he wrote in it, he wrote in his decision about it, the Postal Service faces extraordinary financial pressures. It goes without saying that the elimination of repeated breaches would certainly alleviate some of those self-imposed financial pressures. (laughs) He's kicking management square in the ass right there. It goes without saying that the elimination of repeated breaches would certainly alleviate some of those self-imposed financial pressures. He's not having it. Now listen here, formal A's. Listen to this language. And this is an argument that I made because management attacked my formal A and the formal A resolutions. And they say, hey, those don't set precedent. Formal A's don't set precedent. So when they're saying they're in violation of all these informals and formals, those don't set precedent. I said, they do. Absolutely, they set precedent. And here's what I, here's what I, well, here's what he wrote, but this was my argument. The employer also argued that many of the grievance settlements the union included in the file are informal and formal A settlements, which are not precedent setting, as stated in the JCAM. The Joint Contract Administration Manual notes the following language. Pay attention. Formal Step A Decision The parties must make the formal Step A decision and complete the Joint Step A Grievance form on the day of the meeting, unless they agree to extend the time limit. Copies of the completed form must be sent to the steward and supervisor who failed to resolve the dispute at Informal Step A. Resolutions and withdrawals at Formal Step A do not establish a precedent unless the parties specifically agree Otherwise, y'all hear that? Resolutions and withdrawals at formal step A do not establish a precedent unless, unless the parties specifically agree otherwise. If the grievance is resolved, copies of the resolution must be sent to the steward and supervisor who discussed the grievance in informal step A. He goes on specifically, the above language states that resolutions and withdrawals at formal step A do not establish a precedent unless the parties specifically agree otherwise. That statement speaks for itself. And in my considered opinion, if the parties agree that a cease and desist order is included in a formal step A settlement, the intent of the parties was clearly to specifically establish a precedent. There would be no other reason to include a cease and desist order in any settlement if the express intent of the parties was not to establish and set precedent. The same would hold true for a step B decision. And that's what J.B. hammered management on when he was testifying. This is out of my installation. And I had him read that language in Article 15 to the arbitrator and him put emphasis on that sentence unless... He said, Mr. Arbitrator, that is exactly what we have done in these formal step A resolutions that you see in the file. JB was adamant, and he sold that. He said, cease and desist. Why would I put that in there if I didn't expect for that to set precedent? That means stop now and don't do it any longer. That's what cease and desist means, stop and don't do it anymore. That's setting a precedent in your formal step A resolution. So formal step A's, if you didn't know that, now you do, okay? 
So that's that decision. And I'll put that C number up on this episode uh, when you look at it. For some reason, it didn't print off here. So let me get that C number for you. I'll put that up uh, where you can see the episode. It's Arbitrator Roberts. Uh, it's out of Nashville. That's, that's great language for an escalated monetary award. Now, how many cease and desist do we have to get before we ask for an escalated monetary award? That's a, that's a big question. That's a big question. Is it one? Is it five? Is it 10, 20, 30, 50? How many cease and desist do we need to get before we start asking for an escalated monetary award? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I know that arbitrator Roberts just said that we don't need a canasta deck. That means we don't need a bunch. He said surely one. But go back to Article 41. And, and you say that was in the issue statement, and this is what we're talking about because it gives an example. In circumstances where the violation is egregious or deliberate or after local management has received previous instructional resolutions on the same issue and it appears that a cease and desist remedy is not sufficient to ensure future contract compliance, the parties may wish to consider a further appropriate compensatory remedy to the injured party to emphasize the commitment of the parties to contract compliance. So you're just going to have to, to take a shot at it. You're just going to have to take a shot at it. And the bad thing is, is that if they say that it doesn't warrant it yet, you can continue to take shots at it until you finally get what you're looking for. This is all I want. I don't want to make my carriers rich through the Postal Service, through, through grievance settlements. I want management to stop doing what they're doing. And that's what I told Arbitrator Roberts. Look, I've got 10 more years till I retire. I don't want to bankrupt the Postal Service because of management. But I damn sure will if it means for them to stop doing what they're doing. You've been told over and over and over again to stop. Management wants to say, what's a cease and desist? I have them say that, and I'll talk about that decision next week And when I give my sites. What's a cease and desist? That was their contention. What is a cease and desist? Article 8 violations will always happen. That was the exact language that they used. So I told the arbitrator, I said, how about this? What is regular attendance? You're going to tell me that I need to be regular attendance, and I'm going to tell you that I'm not going to. What's regular attendance? I'll try my best, but that don't mean I'm going to make it. That don't mean I'm going to do it. I'll do the very best that I can to be regular attendance. But you shouldn't punish me if I'm not. That's what I told Arbitrator Wolitz. And that was, it was the funniest thing that's ever happened to me in an arbitration was when I said that to her. I said, look, Madam Arbitrator, when I go back, I'm going to use management's philosophy when I'm dealing with my attendance. And they bring me in for an eye and they say, hey, look, are you aware of your requirement to be regular attendance? Well, that's what I've heard before. I don't know what it means, but let me, let me stop you right there. I'm not going to be regular in attendance. I'm going to do my best. But if I'm not, oh, well, if I'm not, don't hold it against me. I'll do the best that I can. She busts out laughing, and she immediately catches herself and looks over at labor like, y'all didn't see me do that, did you? It was absolutely hysterical. When she bust out laughing, I bust out laughing. But she, I mean, it was funny. 
if you know arbitrator Wallet, you'd appreciate that. But she busts out laughing when I say that and looks over at labor like, oh, shit, y'all didn't see me, did you? But uh, that's how I feel. Manager says, oh, cease and desist. I got 50 of them. We're doing our best. Okay, that's fine. Well, I called in 10 days in a row. I'm doing my best. I couldn't make it. So what? What are you going to do to me? I'm going to discipline you? Oh, no. Hold up just a second. Why? Because you got to be regular attendance. Well, hell, you got to cease and desist, but you don't do that. And we're not supposed to, to say anything about it. You're not supposed to be held accountable for that in any way other than to continue to be told to cease and desist. Just continue to tell me to be regular attendance, and we'll go about our merry way. There's nothing different. Here's a decision from arbitrator Mayer, and he talks about Mittenthal, the status quo ante. And this is an argument that I made to him. I made it to several arbitrators, and he, he grabbed it. Thank God. But when you read the Mittenthal decision that everybody talks about in management, it doesn't make sense that they, that they hold the, us to that in arbitration as far as an escalated monetary award. It has nothing to do with it. If you've ever read it, shop stewards, you probably never read it. <laughs> Advocates are probably the only ones that have ever read it. And I know JB's read it because he, he uses it, but it's C31812, C31812. And it's arbitrator mayor. And it's a case I did in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And uh, it was uh, February of 2015 was the award. And this is what he states. Here's the issue. And, and they did it a little different, which is fine. Issue, did management violate Articles 5, 15, 19, 30 of the National Agreement via the Tuscaloosa LMOU, previous grievance settlements, and then they put every one of them in there. There's about 30. By not providing the overtime recap for the week ending April 18, 2014 in a timely manner, by not following through on previous grievance settlements, DRT decisions, and then they go on. So you get the gist of it. And here's what he states on page 10 of his decision. Remedy. Management argues that the union's remedy is punitive, that it unjustly enriches a union steward by awarding him monetary compensation for something beyond what is contractually provided for under Article 17. Management additionally argues that no harm is committed in failing to provide the overtime recap report timely. Now, remember that because management will also say that. I've got a site I'm going to read here in a second where arbitrator Wolitz in these Lake Charles decisions blasts management on that. When they say management additionally argues that no harm is committed in failing to provide the overtime recap report timely. The principle of unjust enrichment provides that one shall not unjustly enrich himself at the expense of another. Put another way, no one should be benefited at another's expense. Management quoted National Arbitrator Richard Mittenthal in its opening statement as follows. And again, this is the one that Arbitrator Roberts talked about earlier. So what they say. Fourth, perhaps most important, the purpose of a remedy is to place employees and management in the position they would have been in had there been no contract violation. The remedy serves to restore the status quo ante. Such a remedy would go far beyond the notion of a status quo ante. It would reward employees for management's procedural error by freeing them of any responsibility for their alleged misconduct. Okay, now that's the decision that management always uses. 
And, and this is my argument to arbitrator Mayer, and this is what he says. Management witness Blanding testified that monetary compensation is overly severe for the infraction, that the union representatives, who are the sole beneficiaries in the settlements rather than the bargaining unit as a whole, are the only individuals who profit. She testified that, albeit late on occasion, the union always gets their report and there is no harm done to the bargaining unit whenever the report is late. In closing, management argued that there was no testimony why the union or its steward should be paid. These arguments fly in the face of the evidence of record. The Mittenthal decision is not on point with the issue in this case. Arbitrator Mittenthal rendered a decision in a case regarding a management-initiated program on attendance control. The program resulted in numerous disciplinary actions. The union grieved the program seeking to eliminate it. They additionally sought to expunge the discipline issued resulting from the implementation of the program. Arbitrator Mittenthal determined that it was the employee's misconduct that led to the discipline and not the implementation of the program. The program did not diminish the existence of the misconduct. The employees would be awaiting a judgment on the alleged misconduct regardless of whether or not the program existed. He reasoned that eliminating the program and expunding the discipline would go far beyond the notion of a status quo ante. It would reward employers for management's procedural error by freeing them of any responsibility for their alleged misconduct. There is no correlation with the case at bar. The item 14 provision in this matter was jointly negotiated. The jointly developed penalty for violating the provision began as a cease and desist and after repeated violations evolved into an escalating remedy. Y'all hear that? I've given considerable weight to the fact that the escalating remedy was mutually developed by the parties and is consistent with the language regarding remedies found at page 4117 of the JCAM. And that's the language I've been reading y'all about the opting. Listen to that again. Because management wants to come in here and say in arbitration, that has to deal with opting. It has nothing that we're not dealing with opting. We're dealing with Article 8 violations. We're dealing with 17 and 31 violations. It's not dealing with opting. It's, it's as an example. And that's what he says. I've got considerable weight to the fact that the escalating remedy was mutually developed by the parties and is consistent with the language regarding remedies found at page 4117 of the JCAM. Similarly, the theory of unjust enrichment is not applicable here. I give, give considerable weight to the fact that the parties jointly developed a solution to the remedy issue after management notified the union that they could no longer pay the branch of the money order and GATS would not allow them to pay the branch. He goes on to talk about their other payment methods. The remedy is not punitive. The DRT decisions cited herein clearly show the rationale as well as the extraordinary efforts made in attempting to correct the repeated contract violation that included cease and assist, higher authority instructions and training before resorting to a monetary compensation formula. So again, stewards, always ask for a cease and assist. If management is not maximizing the list before forcing non-ODL carriers to work off assignment, and they continue to do that, and they continue to get cease and desist, at some point you're going to have to ask for an escalated monetary award to get them to stop. If you're not getting information, and they've been told to cease and desist from failing to provide you information, and you have a handful of them, 
At some point, you're going to have to ask for an escalated monetary award to get them to stop. It's just that simple. Anytime you have cease and desist that continue to accumulate, you're going to have to ask for an escalated monetary award for future compliance or for future contract compliance or an incentive for future compliance. Okay? New stewards, understand that. Now, what's the amount? What should I start out at? I don't know that either. I don't know what the the proper amount is. I always look at it as what is an amount that an arbitrator can swallow for the first time. And then we will build on that. And I'll talk about my Lake Charles cases next week. What is an amount that an arbitrator can initially swallow? What when he looks at it, he's like, okay, we can deal with that. That's, That's not too punitive there. $20? $50? Here's a case that I'm fixing to read to you. And this was back, I was a formal lay from 2008 to 2010, 11. And then I stepped down out of that. Years later, years later, I got called back to formal lay. We were behind like 200 grievances. And the formal lay at the time, God bless him, he was doing the best he could. He's a gentleman. I'm not going to name his name. Doing the best he could, but but uh, grievances were stacking up. So my business agent at the time, he calls me and he says, hey, you're going back to Formal A. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> He's like, told me some things that were happening, so I agreed to do it. And, and in this process, we had 120 Article 8 violations. Article 8 violations were just going crazy. Uh, they, were, they were beyond crazy. So I stepped into that. And I'm meeting with a gentleman and uh, for management, very nice guy and willing to work with you. You know, we, we, we work well together. We had a meeting with the district manager, the HR manager for the district, and the district labor manager. Me, my branch president, and the business agent were in this meeting. And so we're trying to help them with these Article 8 issues because it's, it's a runaway train. We're trying to help them. And in this meeting, the district labor manager starts lying, which I cannot stand. He starts lying, so I'm infuriated, angry. The HR manager starts lying. So I call him out on it. I said, both of y'all sat here, and, and, and neither one of y'all had told the truth yet. I said, both of y'all have lied the entire time y'all been talking. Nothing about what y'all have said is the truth. So the district manager, he comes to their aid, right? He's, Corey, now this and that. I said, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to say his name. I'll tell you what. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I told him. I said, I've sat in here and tried to help y'all with these Article 8s. My business agent has come up into this meeting from where he's at in Alabama to sit in this meeting and, and try to come up with some kind of resolution. My branch president is here. And y'all have done nothing but lie all day long. This is what I'm going to do. I can show you better than I can tell you. I'm going to ask for administrative leave for those carriers that are not on the list. I'm going to ask that the ones on the list are compensated for the time those that were not on the list worked. And I'm going to ask for $50 a carrier. And I'm going to get it. That's what I'm going to do. And like I said, 
I can show you better than I can tell you. So he gets up and he kicks us out. He kicks us out of the meeting. So we go back and I formulate this case. I put this case together and we go to arbitration and we, we had not been getting any escalated monetary reward. I just came out with 50 because it pissed me off. And that's what I told the district manager. But this is the decision, and it's Arbitrator August, and it's C-32315. 32315. And this is what she says. Now, here's the issue. Did management violate Articles 15 and 41, and that's that language I've been telling you about, and 41, about opting, of the National Agreement when they failed to abide by past cease and desist of utilizing non-ODL and work assignment-only letter carriers to work off their assignments prior to utilizing ODL carriers to their maximum extent? If so, what is the appropriate remedy? Now, that's how I framed that issue. Now, 1517 is not in there, and but you'll always want to put M1517 in your issue statement. That's not in this one. And I did not put any B-team decisions, any pre-arbs in there, any formal A resolutions. I just said when they failed to abide by past cease and desist of utilizing non-ODLs. And then I put all of those in the case file. And so I, I didn't put all those in because I, I don't like doing that. But if you do that, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But I'm not going to sit and write 50 B-team decisions in my issue. I'm just going to say past decisions and show the arbitrator what we're talking about. Page 10. And that's the best way. <laughs> I, I, I jump off on stuff, Donna. That's the best way, new stewards. When you're looking for an, a remedy, an issue, and a remedy, if you're like, oh, I've got this issue here, if you can look up arbitrators' decisions on the same topic, they will always write down the issue, plagiarize that issue. If you want to look at these, if you need me to send them to you, plagiarize the issue. That's the best way to learn of an issue. I do that to this day. If, I, if I'm thinking of an issue, and I'm like, damn, how am I going to word that? I'll, look at, I'll just pull up past arbitrator's decisions on that topic, and I'll find one that I like, and I'm like, okay, I'll use that one. That's a little something for you. On page 10, this is what she says. Now, this is going to be a lot of reading, and I apologize. Discussion. 85G. Full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only. She caps it. If all available employees on the overtime desired list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Now, let me stop here. This is one of those. I'm going to do a window of operation in a dispatch of value case episode. I mean, I'm going to do one of those soon. This is kind of, this is a dispatch of value case. Management was talking about a window of operation dispatch of value. And so but it's also past cease and desist, and that's, that's where this one's coming from. But it's going to be a lot of reading, but here, here, here we go. This contract case involves alleged ongoing violations of Article 8 at the Nashville, Tennessee installation following numerous Step B decisions that issued cease and desist orders regarding violations of Article 8 and 15. Specifically, the union alleges that management at the West Station in Nashville, Tennessee violated the national agreement when non-ODL and work assignment carriers were mandated to work overtime on and off their routes before maximizing carriers on the ODL to 12 hours as required by the National Agreement and Joint Contract Administration Manual. Now let me stop right there. Every one of these was off assignment overtime. Off assignment. 
management wanted to argue rule of reason. Now, new stewards, rule of reason. This is what rule of reason means. Non-ODL carriers that required to work on their own assignment is the only time rule of reason applies. Non-ODL carriers that are required to work on their own assignment is the only time rule of reason applies. It does not apply to non-ODL carriers working off assignment. Okay? If I'm on Route 11 and management makes me take a takeoff on Route 12, rule of reason does not apply. If I'm on Route 11 and I've got an hour on my route, that's the only time rule of reason can apply. And this is what the rule of reason means. If I go up to management and I said, hey, I need 30 minutes on my route and I'm not on the list, so you need to send me some help. If it's going to take the ODL carrier 25 minutes to get there, 30 minutes to deliver it, and 25 minutes to get back, I'm not going to succeed in that grievance. That's the rule of reason. If it's going to take the ODL carrier twice as much time to come deliver my 30 minutes, the rule of reason will take over. I'm not going to win that. So this is 100% carriers not on the list working off assignment. That makes sense, okay? Matter of fact, the arbitrator, Arbitrator August, she stopped the hearing and she said, Labor, I want your definition of what rule of reason means. And Mr. Walton, you're going to tell me what you, your definition of rule of reason means. Management tells, Labor tells their definition of rule of reason. And they had the district labor manager, the one that I called a liar. He was in there, ta And he's shaking his head no the whole time she's talking. She could, it was as far off base as you could get. When she asked me, I told her exactly what I just told y'all. And he's over there nodding his head, yes. She's like, I'm not going to say his name, Mr. So-and-so, do you agree with Mr. Walton? He's like, yeah, he's right. She's like, okay. She said, so I want to make sure that everybody's understanding of what rule of reason means. And so that's how he did that. She goes on, the national agreement at Article 8 defines how overtime is scheduled when operationally required in Section 5 of the article. Describe the process which was agreed upon by the parties. An overtime desired list, ODL, was established to distinguish between those employees who requested to be voluntarily assigned to overtime on any given day. Management at the West Station in Nashville, Tennessee, on June 15th of 2015, utilized work assignment only, non-scheduled carrier Anderson for eight hours overtime on his scheduled day off prior to maximizing ODL carriers to 12 hours of work. Additionally, the evidence of record. West Station schedule and overtime desired list indicated Kerry Crop was signed up for work assignment only, although it was argued by management Mr. Crop was on the OTDL 12-hour list. On the day in question, management also utilized Mr. Crop on overtime off his regular work assignment prior to maximizing the OTDL carriers to 12 hours. Management argued that their established window of operation, WOO, and dispatch of value, DOV, gave them a right to simultaneously schedule ODL non-ODL carriers to work complete the work on June 15th of 2015 and time to meet the WOO and subsequent dispatch of value. Management cited Article 85D to support their position. Now, I'll get into all the simultaneous scheduling and all these things when I do my window of operation dispatch of value case, okay? All that's going to be covered a bunch. 85D. 
If the voluntary overtime desired list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity to assign to the junior employee. Now, they are misrepresenting that. All that means is, is that all my ODL carriers are maximized to 12 hours and I've still got two hours left. You can go off the list. You can go off the list and get those carriers to do it on a rotating basis. That's what that means. Management is trying to say that if a dispatch of value and window of operation is set, that management can go off, that they can maximize the carriers to the dispatch of value, and if they still have time, that they can go off the list. That's what they're saying. They're misrepresenting that language. However, Article 85G is not silent in regards to simultaneous scheduling. Management, by virtue of the National Agreement at Article 3, has the right to mandate overtime for non-ODL carriers. However, it must do so while adhering to the remaining covenants of the bargaining agreement. Specifically, Article 85G states, Full-time employees not on the overtime desire list may be required to work overtime only if all available employees on the overtime desire list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Now listen to how she shoots down their window of operation. (laughs) The parties were very specific in their language and gave no scenarios which included simultaneous scheduling prior to utilizing OTDL employees 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a week. There is no window of operation mentioned, nor does the article state that the ODL carriers must first be utilized up to the dispatch of value. It states they must be worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a week prior to requiring non-ODL or work assignment-only carriers to work overtime, not on their route. The parties were undoubtedly aware of truck schedules, absenteeism, and other operational issues prior to negotiating this agreement. The language at Article 85G was negotiated in 1984. And that specific language to date has not changed. Having established that a violation of Article 8 existed, the union also alleged a violation of Article 15 as it pertains to the numerous Step B decisions and formal Step A settlements regarding similar violations. The union argued that cease and desist orders handed down by the Step B team have simply been ignored by management and the continued violations have become egregious. They maintained that the mandated overtime forced upon non-ODL and work assignment-only carriers was arbitrary and capricious and has harmed those employees who do not wish to work the additional overtime. Listen to this now. The union cited more than 500 decisions which awarded damages to both ODL letter carriers and non-ODL letter carriers. Additionally, the union provided formal step A resolutions signed by both the union and management representative in which they agreed management will be issued another cease and desist violating Article 8 and is on notice that future violations can be met with escalating remedies. That's what I was talking about earlier. Of pay and administrative leave as demonstrated in past DRT decisions, including in this grievance file. In this case, the union formulated a remedy which included payment at the overtime rate or administrative leave for all non-LDL work assignment-only carriers for the required time worked. They also requested payment at the overtime rate for the hours worked by non-ODL and work assignment-only carriers to be split amongst ODL carriers who are available to work on June 15, 2015. 
In addition, the union is requesting a one-time lump sum payment of $50 to be paid to all ODL letter carriers and the two non-ODL work assignment carriers affected by this grievance. Management in the case contended that those non-ODL and work assignment only carriers who were required to work overtime were already paid. And that's what they'll always say. They're not doing anything else. They got paid for the time that they worked. That's a dumbass excuse. Of course we got paid. We're made to work. You got to pay us. This is for your continued violation of Article 8. That's what we're talking about. So anytime management says they've already been paid, well, no shit. They had to be paid because they worked the time. Anyway, at the overtime rate for the hours they worked and should not receive any additional pay. I'm trying to work on my language. I am. I'm doing the best that I can to work on my language. I don't know why I'm like that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean that up. I promise you. I shouldn't be doing that. So I apologize. They maintain that a, any compensatory damages would be unjust enrichment. How many times have we heard that now in the three cases? Unjust enrichment. The union cited arbitrators deci- arbitration decision from several regional arbitrators which specifically addressed repeated violations following precedent-setting DRT decisions. One such decision came from arbitrator Louise Wolitz. She cites the case where she offered the following discussion. Now, this is going to be a lot of reading, but let me tell you about this, this one because this is funny. Now, this is three, uh, C31620. C31620 is what I'm fixing to read from, and this one I always use. But I went to Lake Charles numerous occasions, numerous occasions. And when I first got there, I believe that they were making $250 a carrier. That's how bad this had gotten, $250 a carrier. That's what we were asking for. I'm sorry. We were asking for $250 a carrier. They had so many decisions. It was crazy. And the arbitrator grants it to us. I continue to go back. They continue to do it. To ultimately, they were making $1,000 a carrier. And I'm going to give you these site numbers so y'all can read it for yourself if you don't believe me. $1,000 per carrier. Any violation of Article 8, every carrier in the station will get $1,000. 32 carriers in the station. So any violation of Article 8, it becomes so egregious. Any violation of Article 8, $32,000 right off the jump. Then we got into who was getting paid what. (laughs) $1,000 a carrier. And this one one was the one that did it. And and this, this was the one, I believe... There's two of them from Wallace, but this is the one where management and their contentions, they stated that, look, we, we're trying to correct the situation. We've ordered new postal vehicles, extra postal vehicles. We're hiring this many CCAs. So we're alleviating the problem. All of these cease and desist, we get it. You've gotten our attention. So we're getting all these extra vehicles. We're hiring all these CCAs. So that's taken care of it. And look, over the last however many months since this last decision, we've slowed down. It's not near as bad as it was. It's slowed down. So you have to take that in consideration. That's what the contention was. After so many months from last arbitration to this one, it's, it's actually slowed down. In my closing, this is what I state. This is my very first thing. I said, Madam Arbitrator, I said, there was this gentleman. 
He was driving down this old country road one time. There's nothing as far as he can see. There's no hills. There's no trees. There's nothing. And right out in the middle of this huge field as he's driving is this four-way stop. There's not a car in sight anyway. Everywhere you look, no car in sight. I said, so this gentleman, he's driving down through there, and he's looking at the stop sign. He's looking around. Well, there ain't no cars in here. So he slows down and creeps on through. Out of nowhere, here comes a police officer up behind him. Woo! Pulls him over. Officer comes out. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Mr. Officer. You got me, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. He said, I, I know you saw that stop sign. He said, yes, sir, I did. He said, I'm sorry. He said, that's all right. He said, just let me get your license and your registration. And the guy says, well, well officer, I slowed down. Officer snatches the door open, pulls the guy out, gets his nightclub out, and just starts beating this guy senseless, just beating him. And the guy's like, hey, 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 hold on, hold on, what are you doing? And the officer says, well, do you want me to stop or do you want me to slow down? I said, Madam Arbitrator, they've been told to stop, not slow down. That's what cease and desist means. It means stop. Cease and desist doesn't mean slow down. That's not what it means. So that's not a victory that they've slowed down because they've been told to stop, just like that gentleman driving in the country. That stop sign said what? Stop. It didn't say slow down. That's what all these decisions are telling them, Madam Arbitrator. They're telling them to stop and don't do it anymore. That's what that means. It doesn't mean, hey, you're successful if you slow down. We want them to stop doing what they're doing, period. I'm tired of coming to Lake Charles. I drive here. I'm tired of it. My back's hurting from driving so much. We want them to stop doing what they're doing and whatever you have to do in your decision to make that happen is what we want. But a cease and desist does not mean slow down. But anyway, I thought that was clever. Here's what it states in that decision. It is clear that this is not a new issue in Lake Charles, but that the Lake Charles installation has been violating Article 85G repeatedly over a long period of time and has been issued many Step B decisions, pre-arbitration settlements, and arbitration awards that begin with the directive to cease and desist these violations. Yet management does not seem to take these directives seriously. While management surely has operational responsibilities, and this was a Wu case too, Dispatch Bay, to timely process and deliver the mail, it also has operational responsibilities to abide by the clear language in the national agreement and to abide by Step B, pre-arbitration settlements and arbitration awards. This responsibility is not voluntary, but mandatory. In assigning work, full-time employees not on the overtime desired list may be required to work overtime only. If all available employees on the overtime desired list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Moreover, an employee on the ODL does not have the option of accepting or refusing work over eight hours on a non-scheduled day, work over six days in a service week, or overtime on more than four of the five scheduled days in a service week. 
Instead, an employee on the ODL must be required to work up to 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a week before management may require employees not on the ODL to work overtime. This language is clear. It provides contractual rights that adhere both to ODL employees and non-ODL employees. The ODL, the ODL employees have the right to work the available overtime hours. Just as importantly, the non-ODL employees have the right not to work overtime hours not on their own route unless all ODL employees have worked 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. This means that when management assigns overtime work, it must pay attention first and foremost to the meeting this requirement. It must meet the requirement even when it would like to do otherwise for convenience, for economic savings, or for any other reason. The language removes management the ability to do otherwise. It must meet its contractual responsibilities. It seems like management in Lake Charles has determined that when it is not convenient to meet the responsibilities of this language, it may fail to do so and just pay the ODL carriers for the missed work opportunities up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. It reasons that the non-ODL carriers who have been forced to work are getting paid for that work at the overtime rate and hence are not harmed. That's exactly what management said in that national case. They're not getting harmed. No, the, the Tuscaloosa case. They're not getting harmed here. They're not getting harmed by us violating the contract. There's no harm to them. And remember when management said in the Nashville case, they got paid. They got paid for the time that they worked. So they're not harmed. They, they, they were forced to work, but they, they got paid for it. That's what she says. It, it reasons that, that it reasons that the non-ODL carriers who have been forced to work are getting paid for that work at the overtime rate and hence are not harmed. However, what this fails to consider is that all the carriers are harmed by management's failure to honor its contractual obligation. Even if they are paid for the overtime they were not assigned at work but should have been, the ODL carriers are additionally harmed by management failing to honor its contractual responsibilities, which erodes the trust of the carriers and their management. Come on. The non-ODL carriers who are forced to work unwanted and unanticipated overtime are harmed by losing the use of that time however they had planned to use it despite the fact that they are paid for their overtime. All the carriers in the bargaining unit, even those not directly impacted on a particular day, are harmed by the erosion of contractual rights. The collective bargaining relationship is harmed. The union is harmed by having to bear the expense of processing grievances and potential arbitration cases over and over again on the same issue. This harm is clear and evident. It is particularly evident in repeated violations over a long period of time over the same issue and repeated failure to abide by settlements and awards. She goes on, National decisions support Arbitrator Wallace's position in the aforementioned grievance. In case number, National Arbitrator written, Richard Menthol ruled, This dispute is significant, not just for those who have placed their name on the ODL. It also has a derivative impact on full-time regular not on the ODL. An employee on the ODL does not have the option of accepting or refusing work over eight hours on a non-scheduled day, work over six days in a service week, or overtime on more than four of the five scheduled days in a service week. Instead, an employee on the ODL must be required to work up to 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a week before management may require employees not on the ODL to work overtime. Here she talks about Article 41. 
in case Madison wants to come and say, that's for opting. Regarding remedy, the Joint Contract Administration Manual, JCAM, page 4115, states, in circumstances where the violation is egregious or deliberate, or after management has received previous instruction resolutions on the same issue, and appears that a cease and desist remedy is not sufficient to ensure future contract compliance, the parties may wish to consider a further appropriate compensatory remedy to the injured party to emphasize the commitment of the parties to contract compliance. In reference to that article, management and the union, when signing the formal Step A resolutions, did exactly what the JCAM instructed and agreed that future violations would be met with an escalating compensatory damages to include the payment of administrative leave. Based on those agreements and the numerous Step B decisions ordering a cease and desist of violating Article 8, the union's remedy will be granted. For all the going reasons, this grievance is sustained on both issues. And she gave us the $50. So I told the DM, I'll show you better than I can tell you. And I showed him exactly what's going to happen. I told him what was going to happen, and I showed him. Look, escalated monetary awards. You've got to support your position if you're going to ask for it. Arbitrators are, are hesitant to spend the Postal Service's money. They don't like doing it, but there comes a point in time when they're forced to do so, when things become so egregious that the only alternative is to award an escalated monetary award for contract compliance. That's the only recourse we have. The only avenue we have is the grievance procedure. The only way that we can get management to stop is the grievance procedure. A cease and desist, like Arbitrator Roberts said, you shouldn't have to have a canasta deck tell me to cease and desist, tell me to stop and don't do it anymore. That should handle it. I shouldn't have to have 500. I shouldn't have to have 80. I'm going to tell you about Lake Charles next week. Unbelievable. It shouldn't come to that. Support your issue. When I talk about the issue statement, past settlements, make sure you're including those past settlements in the case file. Make sure of that. However many there are, I would do that. That's how I am. I want the arbitrator to see it. When they come in and it's a thousand page file, I want them to be like, holy hell, what is that? This is management screwing up. That's what this is. This is management screwing up, Mr. Arbitrator, and we're here to ask for some help, some relief. That's what we need. Obviously, we can't do it. The parties down here can't do it. The B team, pre-arbs, formal A's, informal, it's not working. We're going to ask you to help us. Alleviate a problem. That's what we're here for. I want visual. That's what I want. So if you got past decisions, put them in the file. New shop stewards, if you got cease and desist on things, you get your handful, ask for an escalated monetary award. Management's not going to give it to you, but you ask for it. Send it to the formal A. If they say, hey, look, I'll agree to another cease and desist. We're not going to pay any money. It's past that. We're sending it up. I want an escalated monetary award for you not complying with these past cease and desist. Okay? I hope this hasn't been confusing. I've put a lot of stuff on you right there. I read a lot of decisions. In your issue statement, make sure you get your issue statement right. We're going to go for an escalated monetary award when we have enough cease and desists. Put all those decisions in the file to support it. Figure out a, a good a good monetary award. Something that's not crazy. I had a gentleman here, he is notorious. The very first thing he would ask for is $500 a carrier. You're not getting that. 
You're not getting that stupid. You're not getting that. Ask for something that the arbitrator can chew on. Okay? 20 bucks, $25, $30. Something like that. I said 50 because I was pissed. And I want to prove a point to my district manager and labor manager and HR manager because they were lying. That's probably a little high. We got it, thank goodness, but that may be a little high. And you can consult people. Consult your formal A. Uh, if you don't consult your business agent, ask them. But your issue, make sure you got it down pat. Support that issue with your past grievance settlements, however many there are. If they're informal, formal, B-team, uh, pre-arbs, arbitration settlements, put all those in there. Okay? Address it in your issue. And in your remedy, make sure that you address it. And what do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? And did you support that? You want me to give them another cease and desist? Why should I? You want the ODL to be paid this money? Why should I do that? You want the non-ODLs paid administratively for the time that they work? Why? You want an additional monetary award for, for these past season assistants? Why do you want that? And how can I give you that? All these things need to be addressed. That's our first episode on escalated monetary awards. I hope it's helped you. I do. Uh, those are big problems. And next week I'm going to tell you what to put in the file. Remember that, that episode I gave you about the court decision in Kingsport? I'd put those in the file. Do not put those in your issue statement. Don't put those in your issue statement because management can't violate those. Those are going to be in your contentions to support your request for an escalated monetary award. You're going to put that Kingsport and that court decision in your contentions, not your issue, okay? So to all of you that have reached out to me, I've been having fun with you. I love seeing how you work, things that you do. You're, you're brilliant people out there. You're getting good, man. You're really good. That's encouraging, very encouraging. Keep up the fight. Keep up the fight. Like I said, you're not going to win them all, and and it crushes you, hurts you, man. It hurts you deep when you lose one. I promise you. I feel it. I feel it. Just know that. You're not going to win them all. But put the best foot forward. Put your best fight forward, okay? Always be ready. Always be ready. Make sure that your contentions are good to go, that they're pristine, clean. When it gets up to your formal A, he's going to touch them up just a taint because he's probably dealt with a lot more, and then he's going to go into formal A and address management's position. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to give him things to work with, and we're going to convince an arbitrator when you get in there, you're going to sell this to him. Here's why we want everything that we want, and here's why we need it, Okay. God bless y'all. Next week, we're going to get into the information we're going to put in the file. All right? Escalated monetary awards. There you have it. The first episode. All right? Y'all take care of yourself. God bless y'all. Have a fantastic week. And until next Sunday, bye-bye.